and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. On the podcast with me today is Tim. Good morning, Preston. And my name is Preston. <laughs> and uh, here in a minute, we're going to listen into Tim's message that he gave this past Sunday on the More Than Words series. So before we dive into listening to the message, let's add a little extra context to this. Uh, we're going through this More Than Words series, and the word that you chose to do is the word repentance. What is important about the word repentance? Well, I, I think the word repentance is important for the church um, because we, we've kind of simplified it or we, we go to the other extreme, we make it too difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and um, this word repentance is part of what you guys have been talking about the last few weeks. It just goes along with uh, these, these words that we've just kind of taken in and we don't do much with. And we want people to you know, change um, but a lot of them just don't understand what it means and the extent and how serious it is. Mm-hmm. I like how in your message you actually kind of talk about the uh, simplicity uh, in some ways of repentance of, of how do we accept what this is. So um, I appreciated that, that part of your message as well. Um, what is one thing that you really hope that people remember after hearing this message? Um, well, it's a, it's a command from you know God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles, the prophets. Um, that's part of our Christian walk. Is once we recognize something within our life that dishonored in the Lord, uh, it's like what you were talking about. This this idea of repentance is a simple process. It's just you know asking God to forgive you for it. Uh, you don't have to you know go into a lot of um, detail on 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 what you've done and this and that. God already knows. And just to be able to take it, you know, before the cross, before God, and say, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry, I messed up," mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just that simple, and it's it's important for the church, the body of Christ, to recognize that no matter what we've done in in this world, what kind of sin we've committed, what you've talked about when it came to sin, it's all it's all sin, and God just says, "Hey, you're a child of mine. You've already accepted my my Son as your Lord and Savior, and this is a simple process. Just give it to me." You know, just say you're sorry, repent of it, and move forward. Because that's what we expect of our own children when they do something within mm-hmm. our homes. Just acknowledge it, and let's move forward together, and let's grow together. Yeah. Well, this is a hugely important word, the word repentance. It, it is important for what it means to live the Christian life. So, Tim, I thank you for bringing some extra context into this message. Let's go ahead and listen in on this message on repentance in the More Than Words series. For the past few weeks, we have been going over certain words that have heavy implications for a believer. These are more than words we impose on others when certain things need to be lived out in their spiritual walk. These are words that identify a follower of Jesus Christ, people who demonstrate that the words we have been talking about are more than just that, a word, but becomes a belief system lived out. Ben talked about faith and commitment. Preston talked about forgiveness, and today I will spend some time talking to you about repentance. This isn't a new concept for Christians living today. This goes all the way back uh, to the beginning of time with Adam and Eve having remorse and seems to have repented for eating of the tree they were told not to. And an example of this idea of remorse from a selfish perspective comes from Cain after he faced the punishment of killing his brother. Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness, so one could conclude that Noah spent some time trying to convince his neighbors and friends and all the people uh, to repent and return to their creator or they were going to die in a worldwide flood. 
In Genesis chapter 6, uh, God says, uh, God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And I am going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And as a preacher, that is an invitation to a call uh, to people to repentance here. Now, during the, the reign of King Solomon, as they were dedicating the temple uh, to God, all the Israelites gathered for worship um, about God's love and grace. And God spoke uh, to Solomon in Chronicles, where he says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn or repent from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So throughout the entire Bible, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles continue to encourage the people to repent of their sin and to turn to God. The prophet Joel says, even now declares the Lord, repent or return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. The prophet Ezekiel says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will take no pleasure in the depth of the, uh, death of the wicked, but rather that they turn or repent from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Now, as we know, there isn't one person in worship today in this church or any across the world from the beginning of time that is without sin. John talks about that throughout his letters. There is no one righteous. David writes in Psalm 53, there is no one who does good, not even one. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Paul writes in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and on and on it goes. And that is why there is a call uh, for mankind to repent and turn to God. There is an eternal consequences if we don't, and according to Joel, there are great blessings when we do. And so after every story of repentance, there should always be a greater story of grace. But the sad reality is that mankind, a portion of the Christian community, only want to talk about repentance, about grace. They're, they're just words to them. They actually don't want to put them into action, into practice, because they feel the person in the wrong should get what they deserve. And I honestly don't get that attitude because repentance and grace and forgiveness, they're, they're not just words. They are to be part of our walk with Christ. John the Baptist uh, preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus preached, uh, the, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. One of the most famous sermons on the subject was Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, where he has encouraged all the people to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that one verse alone, there are two blessings. And the Holy Spirit, in Revelation chapter 2, inspires John to write uh, down the Lord's instruction to the seven churches of Asia uh, to repent on eight different occasions in just two chapters, which tells us that there is something about repentance other than simply knowing what it means. 
It's more than just a word that we get to throw around. It's, it's not only a belief, it is to be a lifestyle because according to the Bible, every day we all sin. Therefore, as Christians, when it comes to sinning, we are allowed to repent of whatever sin we just committed. And as Jesus would say, go and sin no more. That's why Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 6. We already know this stuff, but this message of repentance is for all the people. Those inside of Christ and those outside of Christ. And Jesus was very clear when he said, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I've, I've mentioned the subject matter. What exactly does repentance mean? Well, in the Greek, it means to have another mind or to change the mind. In other words, the person who chooses uh, in his own life uh, to repent and change, of his or her, uh, uh, change his or her mind regarding sin or more specifically, whatever sin they might have fallen into, it, to do a 180-degree turn here. The change of mind is being sorry for whatever it is they did to dishonor the Lord. And that the idea of repentance is producing a heavy heart for allowing Satan to trick you, which prayerfully leads you uh, to move in a different direction. And if you remember the situation in the Corinthian church uh, uh, where a young man was having an affair with his stepmom, the church seemed to be proud of it. And Paul tells him that even the pagans don't tolerate something so warped. Anyway, Paul tells him to ask the man to stop. Well, apparently they did, but went overboard with their discipline and attitude towards this guy. And in Paul's second letter to the church, he tells them enough is enough. It's time to relinquish the self-righteous attitudes they now had towards uh, the repentant man and uh, to comfort and forgive him as Christ continues to forgive them so that they, nor this particular man, would be outwitted by Satan's schemes. And Paul tells them his intent for his harsh words in that same letter. And listen carefully to what he says. Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I, I did see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by any of this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, uh, what concern, what readiness to see justice done? At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did wrong or on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. And so when people allow the Holy Spirit to move them in the right direction, uh, when they become intimate with God's Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, His work in their life, godly sorrow takes place leading the person who is actively involved in a sin to repentance or a change of mind regarding whatever sin issue they are dealing with, which includes sin in general. And because of one's repentance, salvation follows, the church grows, and a blessing is realized. Even though Paul said that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, he also says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. You, you see, being sorry for sinning is a motivation that leads to repentance. Being sorrowful is not repentance. 
The effect is the change of mind that we talked about, and the cause uh, is the sorrow for sin. You may be sorry for the physical consequences of sin, but not be sorry for that particular sin. It's what Cain did after he received his punishment. He said nothing of sorrow for killing his own brother, only that he was sad that he had, had to endure the punishment of doing so. It's only when we acknowledge our sin before God and repent of that, that true repentance, that true healing can take place and, and it gives us the lack of desire to ever repeat it again. John the Baptist told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 3 that they needed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. To, to put it simply, prove it. Don't just talk about repentance, demonstrate it. It's the same thought that James had in his letter when he talked about faith. Don't tell me how much faith you have. Demonstrate the faith that you brag about. It's not, if not, it's just a useless, idle word. And so John is challenging the Pharisees, people throughout all generations, to show their, their, their changed minds, their lifestyle through actions that they have truly repented of their sin. And that transformation is a result of repentance, not the repentance itself. The, the transformation is a result of repentance, okay? Because some people' experiences uh, may lead them to change behavior without having a change of mind when it comes to that sin issue. And so transformation is a fruit of repentance. And John tells these self-righteous religious people, bear the fruit, show me the fruit. Your actions speak louder than your words. And if you claim to, to, to love all people no matter what they've done, then show it. If you claim to humble to be a humble person, then stop acting like a self-righteous Pharisee. If you claim to, to, to uh, Jesus' forgiveness in your own life, then forgive others. If you claim to have repented, act like it. I know that sometimes it can be hard to repent of something that feels good, that seems so justifiable. But if God's word has called something a sin, an attitude, an action, a thought, a conversation, then it's a sin and needs to be, be re, uh, stopped and repented of. I mean, my gosh, church, if you think about what God has asked of us in regards to sin, repentance is such an easy step and allows you to experience God's amazing grace. There is the blessing for both the offender and the offended. And so here, here's a story of a man who's repented. His name is King David. You remember the story between him and Bathsheba? He sees this beautiful woman on her, her, uh, her, her uh, housetop and she's bathing. He wants to have relations with her. He does. She gets pregnant. He tries to, well, just say it's, a, you know, your husband's Uriah's baby. That doesn't happen. And then so David says, comes up with this other scheme. Well, we'll just send Uriah to the front lines and he'll be killed. And that's exactly what happens. And yet David repents of all that. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 talk about all of that. The Bible even tells us that David was a man after God's own heart after this stuff. And if God can do that for David, if out of David's sin, he can work in that way, what does that say about us? It says when we come to him with brokenness, with repentance, because we all have brokenness in our lives and God can take those broken things and he brings life out of it. All you have to do is read Ezekiel chapter 37. This is when God is at his best. Our life is in all these broken pieces and God looks at them and he says, I, I got this. And, and he still accomplishes his purpose and his will in the 21st century. He still redeems his children. Now I know most of us, most of all of our sins are private between you and God and maybe somebody else. That's kind of where you want to keep it. We all get that. 
But there, there's a lot of shame and guilt, feeling like you're all alone in a lifeless desert. There is a lot of fear and brokenness, lots of secrets. None of us are proud of our sins, but what we get to do is confess them to God, repent of them, and actually be joyful of God's grace and begin to live in that grace, knowing that our sin that has been repented of has been thrown into the depths of the sea. There's the blessing. Well, here's a, the, the best-known Bible encounter of repentance. Is, if you remember, Paul uh, told the Corinthian church that there are two kinds of sorrow, godly sorrow that leads to repentance and worldly sorrow that leads to death. And to illustrate the difference, we have the examples of Judas and Peter, the last days of Jesus' life. That particular day, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times before the day was over. That's exactly what happened. And, and when, he, when he realized what he did after that rooster crowed, he, it says he went away and wept bitterly. But then the next morning, he raced John to the tomb uh, when Mary told him that, you know, Jesus' body was gone and some angels had told him that his body, that he had risen from the dead. And because of Peter's repentance, he lived the rest of his life in service to Jesus and would eventually give his own life for the gospel of Christ. Peter had truly changed his mind. He did a 180 degree turn. He repented of his sin and God blessed him. Now that same day, Jesus told Judas while all the disciples were together in the upper room for Jesus' last meal to go and to do what he thought he needed to do. Jesus knew what was going on behind closed doors. He wasn't stupid here. As, G as Judas you know, made this agreement to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, in that moment, Jesus gave Judas an opportunity to continue in the sin or to repent of it, but he chose to sin. And when he realized the seriousness of his actions, it says that he too repented himself. And he ran back to the temple and he gave the money back and, he, and basically he changed his mind. And, and he told the religious leaders, I, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Now, this is the confusion many people have with what the Bible says about Peter's repentance and compared to Judas's. They both repented, but here's the difference. The word that is used to describe Peter's repentance is completely different from the word that's used to describe Judas's repentance. Judas's repentance was all about feeling regret, but it, but it didn't move him closer to Jesus. Yes, he was sorry for what was happening to Jesus. He didn't, he didn't anticipate any of that. But he also chose to remove himself further from Jesus. And instead of seeking forgiveness and grace, he chose to end his life. Peter was sorry for his sin. Judas was sorry for the outcome of his sin. And here, here, here's another example of repentance, and it comes from the Old Testament uh, through the uh, Second Kings chapter 5 with this military genius by the name of Naaman who found himself in a, in a bad situation. It says, now Naaman was uh, the commander of the army of king, the king of Aram, uh, Ben-Hadad, the second of Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded. And so he's taking off his armor. He sees this bleaching spot on his arm, and he doesn't think a whole lot about it until a couple of days later, his fingers start turning a little numb, and there's more of these spots on his, his body. And it was, it was leprosy, and during that period of time, it was like a death sentence. And it was a, it was a dangerous disease that Naaman had to keep to himself. And if anyone uh, should find out about it, he was going to be placed in the leprosy colonies and he'd probably lose his position of power. He tried to deny it was happening to him and refused to change his daily habits, endangering those around him. And like most, he was hoping it was going to go away on its own. But back then, it was a hopeless cause with no cure. 
Naaman has fought against the strongest of enemies in the bloodiest of battles. He was fearless, and now he is confronted with a battle he's not going to win. And in this part of the story, uh, this, is, this is where it becomes very familiar, very similar to, uh, to all the other stories of repentance found in the Bible. When you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, that is where you start to recognize your own weaknesses and your own humanity. And God reveals himself on those mountaintops, but in the valleys is where uh, we learn to depend and trust, where we deepen our faith and commitment to God. This is a place where we you know, learn what it is of grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is where, we change, uh, where change begins to happen. This is a place where repentance takes place. That's where Naaman finds himself right now. He, he's, he's facing something that he has no control uh, over, and without a change of mind, he's going to make things worse for himself and for others. And along comes this little slave girl from Israel. Her nation was captured by the Syrians and is now forced to live as a slave in Naaman's home, uh, the very person responsible for annihilating the Israelites and her own family. And yet, we're, we're told that she had enough spiritual discernment to encourage this great, this great warrior to seek out a prophet of Israel. She sees that her master has this curse of leprosy, and, and you would think that she would try to keep it quiet, hoping that this leprosy was punishment from God for destroying her nation. But she loved her God more than she loved revenge and bitterness and hate and unforgiveness. She knew those were not of God. And so she tells Naaman's wife about this great prophet of God in Israel in verse 3 of this passage. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. If only he would swallow his pride, change his mind, and seek out God's prophet, Elisha, an Israelite. So the question for Naaman is, is he willing to look for help in unlikely places from a God he doesn't even believe in? Now, now remember, Israel was the number one enemy of Syria that Naaman destroyed. Syrians didn't want anything to do with the Hebrew nation just like today. They hated, they hated each other and the war between the two nations has been ongoing for centuries. And even though Naaman wanted this whole thing to go away, he had to change and repent of his own personal attitude towards this God of Israel and the Hebrew people themselves. Change only begins when we change our hearts or repent of the ungodliness we find ourselves in every day. So we've got to be open to God's counsel no matter where it comes from, who it comes from, nor, where, nor the manner in which it, come, which it came. And so if there are changes that we need to make regarding sin so that we will never be tricked by Satan's schemes again, we've got to turn towards God. We've got to turn away from sin. That's why James says what he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And because of this situation, Naaman is now willing to humble himself, changing his mindset and listening to this little Jewish slave girl. But Naaman still had some pride issues that he was not let, ready to let go of. He was still going to do his best to control the situation by taking massive amounts of riches to pay for his healing. He wanted to make sure that it was done on his terms. Not only did he take the money, he took this letter from, from King uh, Aram of Syria, the very king who conquered the nation of this great prophet he's on his way to see. And so, but he takes 700 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, $6 million worth today to pay for this healing. He wanted control here. 
Naaman approaches the new king of Israel, the one who preceded the one that Naaman killed, and he's asking for his help. And Elisha hears, uh, hears about the king of Israel being you know, afraid, you know, showing this, this cowardice attitude, and he tells the king, just send Naaman to me and I will, ha- I will heal him. And so Naaman shows up to his house, but Elisha sends a student to this warrior because he sees all this wealth and pride surrounding him, displaying an attitude that wasn't really ready to change. Elisha knew Naaman just wanted to change his circumstances, but at least he showed, right? And the servant says, my master told me to tell you to go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And even though, even though he comes to Elisha for help, he's still hanging on to his pride. He has yet to understand the benefits of truly repenting by confessing it to God and allowing God to forgive him for it. And it says in chapter 5, verse 11, that Naaman gets angry. In fact, it says a little later on that he, that he leaves in a rage. Why would you get angry when someone is willing to help you by healing you from, from this death sentence without judgment or cost? Well, he got angry because instead of the prophet meeting him and immediately healing him, he gets instruction from this kid, from this student. And he was miffed on why he couldn't just go to one of the great rivers in Syria rather than this muddy river that runs through Israel. Naaman is in some ways acknowledging that his prophet, this prophet in Israel might just be able to heal him. He's that desperate to at least try. He's, he's showing a little faith in, in what this slave girl has shared, but it doesn't happen the way he thought it was going to happen. And so he gets a little upset about it. Church, we need to believe that God will bring some wonderful blessings that you may not ever have imagined when repentance takes place, when you bring your sin issue before Him for that healing. Naaman leaves in a rage, and his own servant notices the pride issue, and he asks his, his master in verse 13, Well, if, if that prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? For crying out loud, Naaman, stop being so stubborn and jump in the river. You were willing to pay $6 million for this healing. Just do what this guy says. And Naaman goes all this way, but his pride, his rage, gets in the way. He's just yards. He's just minutes away from the Jordan River to be cleansed of this horrible disease. And and church, how many times have we been that close to seriously repenting of something but walked away? How long and how close have we traveled to be forgiven by God and instead have let something get in the way? Church, it's so simple to be forgiven of any sin. You talk to God about it, you repent of it, and you leave this place covered in God's grace. Don't leave worship uh, today carrying the same burden that you came in here with. Behind every story of repentance, there should always be a greater story of grace. And we've got to share that story with people. For some reason, Naaman listens to another slave's advice to him. So something's happening here. He goes to the Jordan River, he dips down seven times, and as Elijah had promised, the flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. That's how easy it is for God's grace to cover any one of us. Just draw near to God and and He will draw near to you. Repent of whatever it is and you go in the opposite direction that you came in here with. But make sure that the direction you go is towards God. 
And so we, like Naaman, have turned this word repentance into some kind of scary monster. Yes, it's just a word, but it has huge implications for your future. Your, your future relationship with anyone, especially with God, is contingent on not seeing that word repentance as just a religious word that the church throws around to make you feel bad. It's not just the word. It needs to be part of who we are as a child of God. Simply repent and do your best every day to walk with God when things start getting crazy. Naaman wants to have you know, the final say, it's, it's, but it's not working out so good for him. This powerful military man finally realizes he needs someone or something other than his own strength. And his servant says, why not just do what the prophet of God said to do? So church, why not just do what God says to do? It's a simple request. Repent and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. You, you sure you may feel a little awkward about doing it. It may be a little tiresome as you try to explain to your family and friends why you choose Jesus over the world, why you choose to repent of things that have dishonored God and others. Think about how this military man felt as he disrobes in front of all the people that are traveling with him, and for the first time, they see he has leprosy. They see that this great military warrior is nothing more than a human and they, they watch him dip under the water multiple times, and only on that seventh time is it gone. And Naaman comes up out of the water a different man. You know, I remember a conversation that took place on a Thanksgiving morning uh, with my dad and other relatives. Some of the relatives kept talking about the good old days with my dad when he drank and we, when he fought everybody he could. They asked why he did what he did, why he gave his life to Jesus. And I will never forget his responses etched in my brain. I fell in love with Jesus, and I'm not turning back. And he didn't. He remained faithful to the Lord even after a life of hardship. Naaman and all of those traveling with him went back to the home of Elisha, this prophet of God, and it says in verse 15, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift, the silver and gold, from your servant. Okay, maybe Naaman, uh, maybe Naaman hasn't uh, uh, completely changed yet. But we've got to be patient with him, right? He's a new believer. He's got some maturing to do. And that's okay, because if you think that by giving your life to Jesus today that you won't have any temptations or trials or failures or hurts, you're mistaken. But, but the one takeaway is this. We don't have to pay for our forgiveness, our salvation. Jesus has already done that. Elisha tells Naaman to keep his money. And then he asks that he is allowed to carry some of the dirt from Israel back, to, back home with him. Uh, and, and it sounds a little weird to us, but in their culture, it makes sense. Naaman just wanted to make sure that when it was time for him to offer sacrifices uh, to God, the God of Israel, that he was able to do it on their soil. And it was just this all, this, in this mindset that he had. And then he asked Elijah to please or Elisha, to, to please uh, intercede on his behalf that as a servant of the king of Syria, that when his king bowed down to the false gods of Syria, that Naaman would not be punished being his duty to support his king. He's asking God to forgive him when this happens and to remember that he has fallen in love with the Lord and he's not turning back. And so Elisha sends him away with a blessing of peace. But I've got one more story I, I want to share, and it's one of the most beautiful ones in the scriptures. Um, it's found in John 8. Jesus 
has been teaching all day and now he is being interrupted by the mob of these self-righteous religious leaders. They've got this woman trying to cover her naked body and they throw her to the ground in front of Jesus. And one of the religious leaders, he speaks loud enough for everybody in the, in the town to hear, you know, the charge that's against her. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says to stone such a woman. What do you say? Caught in the act tells us pretty much everything you need to know. The doors are busted down. She's ripped out of bed naked and guilty. Where's the guy? Because the law would have been dealing with him as well. Sometimes you wonder if this was simply a setup or an ambush. That's why we don't hear anything about the man. She finds herself in a place where she's got to deal with her own sin. That, 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 that's got to be her worst nightmare coming true, that her sin is being exposed to all of the people, and they seem to enjoy it. And that's the reality of life sometimes. Even amongst the Christian community, your worst nightmare coming true is for others to find out about your sin and they have no problem exposing it, sharing it with others, posting it on Facebook for the world to see. And, and all the talk of being transparent, and all the talk of confessing your sins to one another, all the talk of grace and forgiveness is just that, talk. But in reality, no matter how others treat you or think about you, just like this woman, she finds herself in a position where she's never been closer to Jesus and about to experience God's amazing grace. Church, if we are going to be serious about the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks to be more than just words, if we are going to encourage each other to actually live out our faith and commitment and forgiveness and repentance, then the rest of us have got to live out our spiritual duty to embrace and to smother others with God's mercy, grace, and love. If not, it's all just talk. Nothing more than idle words and a shallow self-righteousness. These religious leaders throw this woman to the ground, calling out uh, her, uh, her guilt with condemnation that only God has the authority to do. And so they picked up their rocks, and each one of them is ready to be the voice of righteousness, right? Ready, ready to stone her. Jesus, what should we do with this woman? They're trying to trap Jesus and at, at the cost of this woman's reputation and her life for their own gain. And Jesus responds the way he does best. Verse 6. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he stood back up and he said, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. We don't know for sure what it was that Jesus was writing. Some people think that he wrote the sins of her accusers in the ground. I, I don't know. What we do know is it's, it was taking this, the, the, this con, con, uh, condemning self-righteous eyes of these religious leaders, these religious people off of the woman and onto whatever Jesus was doing. And maybe that's what he wanted. He, he sees this child of God, he sees that she is horrified and ashamed, and he wants to get the attention off of her. And so he writes in the dirt, and he comes to her, as he comes to her, her defense, as he does with all of us. Because if you look at the cross, that's a, a perfect example of Jesus taking the attention off of us and putting it on himself. For those of you in worship today already aware of your own guilt for the sins you have committed yesterday, today, or even tomorrow, 
I want you to know that I, we will live out Jesus' instructions on showing grace and forgiveness for whatever it is you have done. Those are not just words to me. I have been blessed myself to experience the reality of God's grace and we and will make sure through the power of the Holy Spirit and my Lord Jesus Christ to do the same for you. You won't find self-righteous judgment here. Because we all have repented. We all have things to repent of. But I'm not naive to think that as you find yourself pushed to the ground that some Christian has not already taken a cheap shot at you while you were down. But we want people to understand that their guilt, that, that their guilt, that we want them to understand their guilt, but we don't want that guilt to lead to condemnation. We want that sorrow, we want you know, that, that, that repentance to lead to that very, the very act of repentance and live in Jesus where they can be freed by God's grace and by his love. There's the blessing. Now some people think the church should never talk about hell and sin and guilt, that the church should only talk about, you know, be a, a feel-good place, but until we recognize our own sin, until we repent of whatever it is, God's grace is cheap. And it doesn't mean anything. It's just a word we think we understand or believe, but haven't lived out. Church, we will not be uh, amazed by grace until we are face-to-face or horrified at our own sinfulness. Guilt is important, but only to the point that it leads you to freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus is heartbroken by what's going on here. Whatever he wrote in the sand and what he says to his accusers, if, if any of you is without sin... Go ahead and cast the first stone. They each dropped their stones, which they were planning on judging her with, and they all walk away. And Jesus is left alone with this woman, and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. And then neither do I condemn you. And then he goes to say, Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice what he does. He offered her grace, but he doesn't ignore her sin. He doesn't say, young lady, it's not that big of a deal compared to those guys that just brought you here. You're okay. You're not so bad. He doesn't say, it's not your fault because I I know you had a rough childhood. He He calls it what it is, sin. And he asks her to confess it and to leave it behind and to have a change of mind to repent. And then he offers his grace to help her along the way. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And so for this woman to have the desire to repent of her sin, she was encouraged or motivated by the love of God through Jesus Christ to walk away. If you remember what Paul writes in Romans, he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Tolerance and impatience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. It's God's love, his kindness that that leads us towards repentance. John writes in his letter, we love because he first loved us. So think about what they're saying. When people realize that God loved the world, each one of us individually, that he sent his only son to pay for the debt of our sin with his own life, that in and of itself is the reason we desire to repent. Now we, we know these stories of repentance are real because we have, we, we have seen people, including ourselves, that have had similar stories. They may not have names of Mary and Naaman and Peter and David and Noah and Adam and Eve, but they are people you personally know and have seen their transformation because of the simple act of repentance. My question for those of you who have not yet repented of your sin, I don't need to know what it it was or even is. 
That's not my business. You have that conversation with God. But I do have a few questions. What are you going to do today about it? What are you going to do with the information you now have on repentance and how simple it is? Are you going to see it as just a churchy word or are you going to put it into practice? It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty simple thing to do. All Naaman had to do was go into the Jordan and dip seven times to be healed of this death sentence. I'm not asking you to, to dip seven times into some, some nasty water. I'm not even asking you to do anything that's going to hit the evening news. But to simply repent and be immersed, as Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. God, God has provided a way of escape for our sins. And it's through faith in his living word, Jesus. So turn from the error of your ways or repent and receive Jesus as Savior. You can't get any simpler than that. When, when the people heard Peter preaching the first gospel message in Acts chapter 2, they were all cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what, brothers, what shall we do? The same thing happens in Acts chapter 16 when Peter's talking to the jailer and, what, and he says, what must I do to be saved? These people knew that something had to change. And Peter confidently said, repent and be Baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And who is that referring to? Our, our world today and the generations that come after us. It's that simple. This is what God has asked us to do and this is where real change begins. Repentance doesn't mean that you're going to live a perfect life or we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that happens every day. But it does mean that you change, have a change of direction. You, you, have a change, uh, you change your mind on sin. You are following Christ instead of the world, your, your fleshly desires or the enemy. And, and baptism becomes the symbol between the old sin of life and the new life in Jesus Christ. To be transparent, I have sinned. I, I, I have sin in my life. And the sad reality is that my sin is always before me. It's always there. I, I know what I deserve for my sin, but through Jesus Christ, God has washed me as white as snow, and he has saved me. That's what happens for us and to us when we repent of sin. There's no reason for anyone to leave worship today uh, believing that you, your life is, is a miserable existence because of some sin. Repent of it and you give it to God. This day, like any day, can end in celebrating God's grace in your life. In, in this particular setting, Peter parallels baptism and repentance. The, the perfect definition of repentance is displayed in our baptism. That in baptism, you die to your old self. You change your mind and you're raised to live as one set free from sin through Jesus Christ. Repentance and baptism go together. This is why this concept of repentance and baptism is not a decision that can be made for you. You have to decide to do it. You have to decide to live it. You have to decide to share it. And Peter, or Paul asked that great question in Acts 22. And now... What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's that simple, church. It's that simple to repent and to give your life to Christ. And so, church, if you want to change your life, if you want to become a better person in Christ, if you want to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better grandparent, a better friend, now is the time for repentance. Now is the time for change. Repentance is not just a word. It's a way of life.
Thanks for joining us for the Sermon Recap Podcast. We hope that this message is powerful and important to you. We hope that this message of repentance is something that really uh, pierces your heart a little bit and, and causes you to consider what it is that you need to be repenting of. And we hope that that invitation is open to you as well, uh, that if you want to have a conversation with one of the pastors on staff um, about what repentance looks like in your life, what baptism could look like in your life, how to accept this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We would love to have that conversation with you. So head to our website, go to northliberty.cc and click on that connect with us button. We'd love to start that conversation. Thanks for tuning in and listening in on this sermon recap podcast. We look forward to doing it again with you next week.